Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Clever, your host, and with me today are your co-hosts, Caleb Wells. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all, Caleb. How's it going? Oh, I'm feeling pretty good. Pretty good. good. And our other co-host, Wailu. Sean, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you? I'm all right. Huh? Things good. good. I, I heard you recently got your second COVID shot. So. Yeah, about two days ago now. So, yes, yeah, been pretty good. Things haven't... I mean, I didn't get as sick as I thought. I got really, really tired yesterday. That was about it. But yeah, things are good. Good deal. Any side effects? Just a bit of fatigue yesterday. Basically, slept during the day, pretty much, which is actually good. <laughs> but um, I'm not, no, not as bad as I was imagining. So. No, that's good. Yeah, I'm probably going to be going in for my uh, booster sometime next week. So mm-hmm. I'm due for my booster. So, and my wife has made that a condition of me being able to play hockey this fall. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got to do it. Got to be safe. <laughs> yep. All right, let's welcome our guest today, Stefano Tapesta. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Uh, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me today. It's great pleasure to be together and uh, sharing a bit of uh, news uh, updates from uh, the industry. You, you do the introduction in a moment on the topics, uh, but yes, yes, definitely happy to be in this uh, podcast with uh, all of you. It's good to have you. Hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, how you got into uh, development and, and how you got into .NET and then what you do now. Yeah, thanks. Uh, look, it's probably a long story, but <laughs> I'm currently based in Melbourne in Australia. I'm originally from Italy and I started my career in Italy just out of uni. And uh, at that time, it was a C, C++ uh, as uh, one of the main languages uh, in uh, university. But then I joined this uh, innovative organization that brought me into the sort of the, the global market uh, because I was the one uh, in Italy probably speaking a little bit more decent English than my colleagues. So I started working on international projects uh, all the way from the US, uh, South Africa and the UK. And then in one of these trips, I met the, the sort of the founder or co-founder of the .NET language uh, at Microsoft, and it was still in a beta release, so over 20 years ago now, right? And then it intrigued me, C-sharp intrigued me, and they say, oh, look, this is C++ with another plus. It's even better. So let's try to make it work in my organization. So .NET 1.0 was born, C-sharp was the language of reference, and we started building, we started building application on the .NET framework since the very, very, very first version. So I'm really proud in some way to be one of the early adopters of .NET directly from um, the Microsoft uh, space. And then uh, with Microsoft, I had a long-term relationship because uh, over the time I've been a Microsoft uh, regional director, which is a community event, uh, a community, sorry, a community role, not uh, an employee role. And then MVP, Microsoft uh, most valuable professional on Azure technology and a few other things. And then last year I joined Microsoft. So (laughs) eventually 20 years uh, after working on all the .NET technology, I'm now part of the Azure product group. My focus currently is on uh, cloud security. There's a lot that goes into cloud security. We actually had uh, Christos Maskas uh, a couple of months back. Mm. So you guys are doing a good job there. We definitely appreciate it where that's concerned. So, There's a lot going on. That's right. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes right. <laughs> so you mentioned that you've been 
working on some some blockchain projects in Azure. And I think that was going to be the 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 focus of this episode, or at least the primary focus. Can for people who aren't familiar, which I'm sure most devs are, what's blockchain and how do you use it? Yeah, let's talk about blockchain. And uh, again, Microsoft has been a sort of a pioneer, uh, very early adopters in terms of blockchain for the enterprise space. So a managed blockchain platform running in the cloud. When that was back in 2016, so already good five years ago, when the blockchain was coming out mostly in the context of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and then later Ethereum. And, and everything that people knows about blockchain or knew at that time was purely you know, investment uh, or speculative investment in crypto. But blockchain is much more than uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, blockchain is a decentralized and distributed digital ledger with uh, a proof of consensus, which means uh, a technical proof, technology-based proof of consensus, which means uh, that all the parties involved into this peer-to-peer network must agree on uh, accepting a transaction. Now, think for a moment how normal digital transactions happen in our world. There are two parties that are exchanging value, can be you know, financial trans- transactions like making a payment. And when that happens, there is an intermediary party that authorizes the transactions. Like you make a payment with a credit card, the credit card vendor is there as the middleman, the intermediary party to authorize the transaction based on whether you have enough credits or not. With blockchain, we are removing this intermediary and creating a peer-to-peer network where everybody, all the peers, all the nodes in this network have a copy of the entire ledger, encrypted, uh, digitally signed. And when the transaction happens, basically, you have to reach a consensus for making sure that the, the transaction is genuine and not fraudulent. Why is this good? Well, it's good, first of all, because of intermediaries typically an interest is often a financial interest in making transaction happens could be compromised and we as a people of uh, IT we know that when there is a, a single entity is a single point of failure and it can compromise the integrity of the entire system with blockchain there is no single point of failure there is a, a network of a peer to peer network where everybody can uh, Everybody agrees on the transaction, and when that happens, we have a guarantee that the transaction can be genuine and correct. So, obviously, one of the main use cases is a payment, so cryptocurrency, and it does make sense. But there is so much more. This is why Microsoft started building a blockchain service for supply chain, for example, for digital signature, for connecting IoT devices, all everything that has multi, multiple parties involved, involved, and you need to guarantee a trust between these parties using technology. And this is where blockchain is incredibly helpful, providing this uh, technology-based trust that can automate processes, supply chain, for example, and without the need for um, a manual intervention and without the need of uh, expensive intermediaries. So I think most of us have probably heard of Bitcoin. I guess they all have heard of Bitcoin yeah. and, and probably Ethereum as well. But um, so what other big, I guess, crypto projects are there that um especially the ones that have been hosted on azure yeah so look uh, microsoft has taken uh, an interesting journey on blockchain starting with offering uh, platforms like ethereum but not only as a managed service uh, on azure now if you take a step aside for a moment and you ask okay but what is blockchain show me the blockchain right and is a a distributed database with some computing capability with some networking capability because obviously all the different nodes have to connect to each other and and with storage so at the end of the day it runs on some linux boxes so it's a perfect example of hosting infrastructure 
on a cloud provider. Now, the challenge of going your way, so installing everything on, installing your own blockchain, is that it's not trivial. It's not. Uh, it's not something that you can do you know, in a few minutes. It's something that is uh, definitely not trivial. It takes uh, some good time to configure. And this is why uh, Microsoft uh, decided to help the emerging blockchain community of developers, creating a managed platform where developers can focus on building smart contracts. Uh, and uh, all the infrastructure is just hosted in the cloud. Now, you ask the, what main projects are hosted in the Azure cloud. Well, what happened is uh, that uh, the developer community started using this platform for building some very, very specific applications using the Azure Cloud as what it is, infrastructure or platform as a service. So there are no you know, significant projects or applications that are built on the blockchain service. There are a number of extensions in some way to to the blockchain service itself that are leveraging the Azure platform for what it is, which is infrastructure and platform as a service. One that I is worth mentioning is a platform called Corda. And and it's important because it is a blockchain for the enterprise. It's built by a company called Consensus, and they are one of the leaders in enterprise blockchain. I'm, I'm mentioning this because this is not about cryptocurrency. This is not about doing going the way of DeFi, decentralized finance, but is about providing enterprise services using blockchain technology for the different use cases that I mentioned. So providing trust in automated way in a, a distributed network. Corda is uh, doing this job, basically, connecting all the different parties, creating smart contracts that can automate uh, supply chain, digital signature, and uh, also payment using Azure-based blockchain network and using programming languages like .NET, like uh, C-Sharp, TypeScript, uh, everything that can be integrated in with the blockchain backend. So you mentioned that the Azure blockchain services is mainly for like enterprise blockchains so are we talking like kind of like yeah like b2b type thing or like kind of in internal corporate stuff because i'm just wondering why what use cases there would be for if like for an enterprise to to own to, to use a blockchain really yeah look it's mostly b2b for sure and the typical application that we are seeing in aspect of um, tokenization of digital assets starting for no, mentioning again the supply chain. You can have a, a distribution of some products all the way from the producer to not the shop around the corner that where they sell it. The the, the provisioning of, of all these end-to-end supply chain has different stages. After the producer, you have a distribution, you have a warehousing, and everybody has some way conflicting interest or competing interest in the distribution, selling, and packaging, and so on. So blockchain, together with the Azure IoT cloud, for example, can track uh, the, the, the origin, the shipment. Using GPS devices, uh, we can track uh, the journey of uh, these goods uh, or these products uh, over the entire global supply chain. We can use tags uh, for tracking uh, the handling of, of parcels. And all these uh, combination, all this integration of IoT devices, blockchain, and uh, the entire process automation uh, guarantees that what you buy is a genuine party. And this has been applied um, in a lot of industries. Here in Australia, where I'm based, for example, uh, there is a big, big attention to tracking the origin, the provenance of food. So there is a blockchain, a ledger for uh, coffee. There is a ledger for beef, as in meat. And so there is a there is an interest to make sure that uh, what we buy is where 
the producer claims is for. And blockchain can help. I'm not saying that is the only solution, but it's definitely a technology that can create that level of transparency. Because at the end, this ledger, which is you know, a sort of a list of all the transactions that happens on the blockchain itself, is owned by no one, but is uh, but a copy of it uh, is uh, is obtained by all the parties that are involved. So if someone uh, tried to tamper with this uh, distributed database, then uh, they um, they so try to manipulate evidence, for example. Then uh, their entry, their block in the blockchain will be invalid because it will have a digital signature. A lot, sort of a hash value that is completely different than anything else, any other copy uh, among all the other parties. So this creates uh, no, the automatic trust uh, because, uh, you know, you say if I try to tamper with my copy of the ledger and say, no, this product is not coming from Australia, but it's coming from uh, uh, South Africa, uh, then everybody else uh, can say, well, no, this, uh, the hash value, the digital signature is different because, as you know, when you change a single byte of information, the, the hash value will be completely different. Then uh, automatically you can reject uh, my my attempt to tamper with it, with this information and, uh, and kick me out of, of the supply chain, kick me out of the circle of trust. So the, the, the register, does it contain every transaction from the beginning of that? Blockchain? It actually does. It's actually does, yes, which is creating a bit of a trouble when uh, scaling this. So there are I some techniques. It could get huge. Yeah. Exactly. It can get very huge. There are some techniques for sharding values so that you don't have to have uh, the full COVID from the very beginning, introducing some snapshot uh, and then progressing from that point in time into to the future or distributing also the the storage itself, but at the moment, uh, as of now, uh, blockchain networks like Bitcoin, Ethereum, which are the, the most popular you know, from a public perspective, uh, the, you, you, you get the full copy. So if you want to join one of these networks, you, you have to download gigabytes of storage on your device, on your node for, uh, for joining the network. Yeah. But you're right, you're actually uh, raising a point of scalability uh, that is not trivial. And uh, and it's not just the storage, it's also the, um, the, the performance of the network that is at stake at the moment. Uh, Bitcoin typically takes 10 minutes for uh, processing a transaction, a, a block of transaction, not just a single transaction. Multiple transactions are combined in a block. And, uh, and this uh, block is uh, validated every 10 minutes, which is an average, which is been there by design, but obviously creates a little bit of a challenge when you want to scale for applications that require real-time um, uh, validation of transactions. So there are use cases, but I wouldn't say blockchain is uh, for everything. And it certainly is something that before ado being adopted in the enterprise space requires a little bit of thinking. And this is why uh, the Microsoft evolved the, the offering of blockchain. So when I mentioned on the blockchain service, this platform as a service with infrastructure and pass uh, uh, all together, the offering evolved. And in the last year, uh, rather than focusing on this uh, generic platform uh, as a sort of, uh, uh, you know, you, you get the VM, you get the virtual machine, and then uh, you, you build whatever you want. Uh, Microsoft came out with more specific, more tailored services that address uh, uh, use cases that are more more specific. Let me clarify. Uh, the challenge that we have observed you know, in this generic blockchain platform as a service is that the complexity of getting into you know, the, the adoption, the development in, uh, in the corporate space was too big. One side is uh, there is... Uh, 
still a lot of misunderstanding on blockchain from a, a logical and technical perspective and also the learning curve is not is not as obvious i'm not saying that other programming languages or other technologies are easier necessarily but you know you go on stack overflow and ask questions about uh, building a, an api or web service you find uh, thousands and thousands of answers you go and find uh, you go and search for a uh, digital signature on using a smart contract uh, on ethereum you will probably find two or three answers right and the reason is that the community is still growing it's still not there to to provide that kind of large scale support which is one side of the story but then the other side is uh, look uh, doing blockchain uh, in a, such a generic way without specializing the use case for the industry is uh, sort of going there with going in any company with a VM with an empty virtual machine and say, hey, you customer, tell me what you want and then I can build everything from scratch. Yes, good luck. But the cost of this approach is uh, sometimes unsustainable. Hence, uh, specialized services. The last one that has been announced at the Build Conference in May, uh, the Build Conference in Microsoft is one of the big events for developers. So it was just a few months ago in uh, in May, uh, May 2021, is called Azure Confidential Ledger, ACL for, for friends. And the ACL, this confidential ledger, is based on blockchain technology and provides a specialized ledger capability hosted in Azure, obviously, and where you have uh, the possibility to store transaction logs at scale. And when I mean scales, I mean millions and millions of transactions in a fraction of a second and with confidentiality in place. Confidentiality is what I'm doing at Microsoft at the moment is uh, protecting data when it's being processed, when it is in memory. So not just encryption of data at rest, which no, we've been doing for years and years, not encryption of data in transit, like HTTPS, for example, the sort of things, uh, again, industry standards for years and years. This is a protection of data when it is in memory, when it's been processed inside a virtual machine, a container, and it is in clear text. In that moment, uh, a VM under attack can be compromised and someone can take a memory dump and see everything that is running in memory in that mo- in, uh, and is being processed. So confidential computing introduces uh, that sort of uh, a hardware-based uh, encryption of the memory. And this confidential ledger allows to store transaction logs of any type. can be also even your log analytics uh, no, can be even your uh, application logs, uh, whatever you want to store that has some sort of requirement for confidentiality, but in an immutable digital ledger. And this is the important part of using the blockchain technology that is immutable. So no one can edit, no one can modify, no one can tamper with the ledger. Once it's written, <laughs> it's for good. And it can be used... Uh, exactly for the purpose not that I mentioned before. is If it is in the blockchain, it must be true. So you can use it as a evidence for, for as a proof that something has happened. Is Microsoft using blockchain internally or do they have intentions on using in any of their products outside of Azure? We are, yes. So there is a I, I don't know if you have heard the, the goal, the intention of Microsoft to, to go negative on carbon by 2030, so in right. less than 10 years now. Internally, there is a project that is doing carbon measurement of setting a tokenization with the intention of, and not just carbon, is green tech in general, but we specifically focus on carbon at the moment with the intention of measuring all the different services uh, and processes uh, that have a carbon footprint. And uh, by tokenizing this on a blockchain, you have the possibility to, to measure and trade and offset for value. Like they were tokens on a crypto equivalent of a cryptocurrency so you can actually tokenize the quantity of talk of carbon that is uh, 
consumed that is uh, uh, used in a in a specific line of business and uh, and use techniques to offset it by trading carbon for alternative uh, green tech this is an internal project but there are this platform is also available for uh, for for customers to to use it also for their own uh, carbon negative strategy and and actually microsoft has introduced something and i need to check the name i can't remember but it's called uh, it is a, a grant it is a sort of a so it's uh, the possibility to provide grants as it funds money for organizations that want to go into this direction and, and access uh, you know, uh, engineering support, uh, R&D support, uh, infrastructure support as in Azure credits. Uh, so all these services that Microsoft can provide uh, to the developer community and to the um, to organization that want to start the journey into carbon negative. This can have massive impact on climate change if we do it right and if we do it uh, properly uh, in the time frame that we have given. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the biggest complaints about Bitcoin right now is how much power that it's, it's yes. taking to do all the mining plus all the transactions and all that kind of stuff. So Bitcoin, you know, is really very carbon positive at the moment. Massively, yes, is one one of the big challenges because uh, it's not only about uh, it's not only about consuming energy, but is uh, the quantity that is required to to mine, no, which is the technical term to say to validate a block. So mining a block is uh, often compared to the level of energy that even big countries consume in a year. So, that, look, to be honest, there is no exact benchmark. You know, sometimes they say, oh, is the entire country of Sweden or the entire state of Texas or the entire uh, New Zealand, depending on the region, depending on the people you're talking to, just to give a reference. But it's huge. Is huge for sure. Now, the Bitcoin community or the blockchain community defends this position by saying that over 80% of this energy is actually green tech. So is uh, green energy from renewable sources. So, but still remain the point that which is not denied that, that there is a big production, a big need for energy, depending on which source is coming from. Even if it is a renewable source, even if it is from solar, from wind, uh, there is still a massive need. So blockchain is not green. and uh, But this is why the application of a blockchain to enterprise use cases can remove the need for these uh, extreme energy consumption. Why? Well, going public like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, requires a, a method, a protocol for uh, for approval of transaction, which is called a proof of work. And this proof of work is a mathematical quiz that requires uh, no GPUs or dedicated hardware, so the, the expensive uh, computation to, to happen. And because it's done in the public, you can't trust anybody at all, right? So there is no way that you can trust uh, any party in the blockchain. So you have to perform this uh, mathematical computation, which requires a lot of energy. Going enterprise, you have the advantage that you can... Uh, filter in some way who is part of this blockchain and is called a permission blockchain as opposite to someone that is completely public. And being part of a permission blockchain, the advantage is that you actually know who is uh, uh, your your party. So who, uh, you know in a supply chain who are the vendors, the couriers, uh, the producers, uh, the suppliers and so on. So by having an, an, a sort of a digital identity, reduce the need for extreme validation using you know this uh, es- uh, this expensive computation protocol. So there are different other ways, uh, no longer proof of work, but proof of stake, proof of time, uh, proof of uh, a lot of other things. And in this way, you can reduce uh, the energy consumption because uh, the 
the parties that are involved are sort of pre-filtered or pre-trusted in the beginning. It's an interesting journey. It's, a, it's an interesting space. It's, there is a lot that is changing over time. So I've heard that, yeah, like the, the power consumption of um, Bitcoin is mainly due to proof of work. And actually most yes. modern pot, um, blockchains are moving to proof of stake for that reason, because it doesn't require the, this mathematical proof. So are you basically saying that the Azure blockchain services mainly caters for, I guess, centralized blockchains and not decentralized? Yes, yes. So, um, well, it is both, but the the initial service that was meant to be to go public and and offer the decentralization for uh, a real public blockchain, uh, so with use cases that are more aligned to cryptocurrency, has been retired as of mm-hmm. September. So you cannot create the blockchain service any longer. And, and it has been intentionally done, obviously, to reduce... Uh, one is uh, this energy consumption and also because uh, customers over time have expressed a desire for more specialized services like the digital ledger, the confidential ledger that I mentioned, and a few others that are coming in the market soon. So at the end, the current offering is uh, centralized, which means that the parties that are involved are authenticated. They have a digital identity and can be verified in much easier way. So one service that now is using this approach of the digital identity of the different parties in the in the network is called verified credentials. And this for me can be revolutionary in some way. I've done a collaboration on an advisory level with the government here in Australia, the Department of Industry on uh, digital decentralized digital identity, DID, and verifiable credential. The idea is uh, your identity doesn't belong any longer to the authority that owns it, like a Microsoft account, a Google account, as well as a Facebook, a Twitter account. So if you sign in, in in a service with uh, your Google account, with your Microsoft account, with your Facebook account, but then... Uh, the like of Microsoft, Google, Facebook decide to shut down the service, you're automatically out of the service, right? So you cannot access, even if uh, it is uh, uh, not connected to Microsoft, but you're using that service to use uh, to authenticate. So the idea of the identity that you own is a self-sovereign entity. So something that you own and that you as an individual decide what kind of element of this identity you want to share another thing for example you're going to buy some products and you ask for age for proof of age and sometimes the way to do this is to show your driving license for example right but your driving license contains much more information than just your date of birth so why sharing additional information that is not required so the concept of the id that decentralized identity is that you decide what you want to have in your identity uh, wallet and what you want to share with other parties. So if you are sharing also proof of age, you just have to share the the year of birth and not even uh, the day and not even and not your certainly not your address, certainly not your driving license and so on. Blockchain is used for validating all these transactions because, again, it's a transparent and immutable digital ledger. And verifiable credentials are all based on this technology. This is another specialized service in the Azure cloud at the moment, which is the result of these years of investment in blockchain technology and a transformation from a generic platform Everybody could use, uh, but no one was uh, exactly certain how to use it uh, 100% to specialize services that the, the corporate space, uh, the, the companies uh, now can, can use uh, because they address a very specific requirement. They are tailored for, uh, for need rather than having, being a generic development platform. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. 
So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Do NFTs, non-fungible tokens, use blockchain? I, I read all these stories about kids getting rich off making <laughs> NFTs. Yes, they they do. Actually, now going back uh, to a little bit uh, to the the .NET space, uh, there is a platform called a blockchain platform called Neo, where you can uh, code uh, smart contracts in .NET uh, and create an NFT. And uh, I, I this is fascinating in some way because an, a non fungible token. Uh, is uh, a little bit the opposite of a cryptocurrency and they're getting very trendy at the moment uh, a cryptocurrency at the end uh, is uh, you know from a transactional perspective is equivalent to regular currency so if you have a, a $10 bill and, and you can exchange for a two notes of 5 each or 10 coins of $1 each. And, uh, and that would be exactly the same value, right? It's still $10 at the end. Uh, and the same happens also with cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency, you can exchange for something equivalent, and it still represents value. So that is a fungible token. An NFT, a non-fungible, is unique. Is a piece of a masterpiece. can be... It can be music, it can be videos, it can be art. No? So we have seen a lot of, especially in, uh, in, uh, in painting uh, or, or digital painting uh, happening, that is sold as a right of, of, use, it, of use this asset. And, uh, and it is a token. It, it is coded on a blockchain. So what you buy is uh, the right of owning that digital asset, not the right of... Uh, uh, possessing from a physical perspective because there is no physical uh, tangible uh, asset in there but there is the right of owning. To some people have even in some way not, not abuse, abuse is a bad word but going went a little bit extreme. For example uh, they have tokenized their Twitter and, uh, and sold as an NFT their first tweet ever. And someone decided to buy the, the tweet of that person, the, the post of a person. Why would you do that? Bragging about right to use it. Now they own the tweet of that person. And that's okay, right? I mean, um, the mechanics of this world sometimes is confusing. And uh, but, but this is true, yes. This is what's happening at the moment. A lot of interest in this NFT uh, platform like Ethereum can develop uh, NFT. Cardano is another one. And Neo, as I mentioned, that is a bit more related to the .NET world. Do, do they actually yeah. own it then? Like, is it like a legal ownership of, of an NFT? Look, the funny thing is that uh, this is legal from because people have decided that it is so and again this is people that are on a blockchain peer-to-peer -peer network outside of any jurisdiction jurisdiction and outside of any legislation of any country so because you, they bought it they own it and they say this is mine 
And this is purely a convention because uh, of uh, people being on that network, on, on that blockchain network. It's, you receive a unique sequence of characters that represent an address on a blockchain. And because you own that address, then you can say that is mine. But there is no legislation by any country that says that because you have that address, now you have it. So if you go on court, who knows what happens? There is no legislation. <laughs> this is a funny word. And, <laughs> I find uh, it knows, very interesting. Happening. Yes. Well, yeah. what Stefano's saying with why, like tweets, right? Yeah. You can pay for a tweet, uh, the whole NFT process, and you can own it. And I'm using quotes here. But it doesn't mean the tweet transfers to your Twitter account. Exactly. It is still... It it is still on the account of the original person and they still have the right to delete it yeah. and it disappears and you still own it. It just doesn't exist anymore. So it's a very weird, yeah. weird yeah. concept. Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter sold yes, his very yeah. first tweet for $2.9 million. That's right. So when you buy, when you, so when you make an NFT of a tweet, does that mean that the tweet is actually kind of saved on the blockchain or is it just a URL that points to the, the original tweet? Yes. So on, on and this this not just for the tweet. In general, you don't store content on a blockchain. You store a reference tweet and the hash value. Hashing is a, 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 a cryptography technique for building a unique sequence of characters, a value that identifies an asset, a content of an asset in a unique way. If you change a single byte in uh, any content, in a file, in a picture, in a tweet, the hash value is completely different and uh, also unpredictable. So you can't generate, uh, you can't reverse engineer and hash value. So uh, it's only one-way encryption. So with this uh, with this assumption, on a blockchain, you store the way to get to the asset. So in this case, the Twitter will have a URL, for example, and the hash value of the asset that has been calculated at the moment where you store it. If someone modifies the content. Now, I don't know if you can edit an existing Twitter, but in general, if you can modify a file in general, right? So if you modify a digital asset, a file, then the hash value will be completely different, which is then different from what is stored on a blockchain. Then the two things don't match. Hence, you can say, hey, you have modified, you have tamper, you have version that uh, that initial asset so is no longer valid or something has happened which is great if you want for example to to certify the some uh, no, uh, diplomas some certificates uh, or credit records or medical records anything around uh, uh, credentials universities are doing this MIT for example in uh, is issuing uh, this uh, certificate on a blockchain. They're not storing the certificate on a blockchain itself. The certificate can be anywhere, but by signing, digitally signing the document and uh, storing the hash value on a blockchain network, then if someone, no, Photoshop the certificate and change their, their grade, uh, the hash value will be completely different, and uh, which doesn't match what is stored on a blockchain, hence uh, is evidence that has been tampered. So coming back to your question, no, the content is not stored on the blockchain. The URI and so the way to reach the content and the hash value of the content is stored on a blockchain. You don't want, in general, to store content on a blockchain because of storage requirement. Um, you remember what we said at the beginning? Every transaction is uh, in uh, the digital ledger. So everybody will have to download all the content in the world to, uh, on their node. This is absolutely impractical. Instead, uh, what they download is uh, the ledger itself that contains uh, who has done what, so who, which transaction between the two parties, a timestamp is it 
absolutely important to have a timestamp for each transaction because it's a proof of assistance. So if I sign that asset before you, it belongs to me. Because, again, a tweet can be signed by anybody or any file can be signed by anybody, can be stored on a blockchain. But because I do it before you, I have my timestamp in there so I can... uh, I can prove it that I own it before anybody else, which is also a nice way of having uh, right management, you know, for uh, songs, music, uh, videos, these sorts of things. So don't store the content uh, on a blockchain ever. It's just a very good practice. Also, don't forget the content um, that is stored on a blockchain is immutable. You can't change it. So another best practice is never ever store any personal identifiable information, PII, because if you store your email address, uh, your telephone number, or anything that is uh, identifiable to an individual, it can be removed. It can be updated. Are they coming up with ways to protect your wallet, you know, or have it so you can, you know, if you misplace it or it gets corrupted or things like that? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, they they have this Bitcoin wallet Mm -hmm. they had years ago they forgot the password or they don't know the machine it's on and they've lost <laughs> yeah hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars so oh yeah are they come up with solutions for that yeah that's interesting uh, there have been people that have lost really millions of dollars because uh, well i don't know if loss is the right word because uh, they didn't realize that they had that money until uh, you now the value of bitcoin uh, grew to the thousand of dollars that is now but basically what happened uh, is that people bought bitcoins when it was uh, probably a few dollars worth or a few hundred dollars worth then they forgot about it years later huh, it's fifty thousand dollars now maybe I, I have some there is some value in that but then oopsie i can't remember the password uh, of my wallet i didn't write anywhere because it's a good practice not to write down passwords and, and the problem is that they can't access their wallet any longer so yeah the problem is that uh, to be honest, there is no a good solution for it, except uh, using uh, cloud storage for or, or password manager for uh, your password. Delete when I said cloud storage. Cloud storage is not a good practice. A password manager is a good practice. But obviously, if you want to protect your password manager, cloud storage is convenient. And cloud storage can be confidential. Cloud storage can be something that you own on a hardware secure module, HSM, without uh, any other parties, including the cloud provider. So say that you host uh, your password on uh, on uh, the Azure cloud. You want to make sure that no one can accidentally access it, including the cloud provider, including the folks uh, at, in the Azure data center. So by protecting your keys, your secrets, in uh, what is called uh, HSM, Hardware Secure Module, you can be confident that you own the access to it and no one else can take it. So this is a way. Protect your keys using a password manager. You have to remember only one password, but it is stored in the cloud in a HSM, in a Hardware Secure Module. No one else can access and you have hardware encryption, hardware protection. Speaking of hardware protection, the other way to protect your blockchain wallet is use a hardware wallet so not an app not a piece of software that again can be compromised and can be uh, and if you lose the password you you lose the access to it but usb key typically that you plug into your uh, your workstation and then uh, uh, provides you with access to your wallet now the problem is that what if you lose uh, your uh, USB key, right? Your hardware wallet. Uh, but that's the problem if you lose your real wallet with your money in it. If someone is good uh, and find it uh, and return it to the police, uh, then you get uh, your wallet back. And the same is for any hardware device, right? So I don't think there is a, a single solution to it. Probably the community doesn't want to find a single solution to it because in the moment that you find a solution to recover your password, you are introducing a backdoor in the system. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the things that stop kind of cryptocurrency adoption because there's really no way to, unless you have a third party uh, manage all the stuff that like, the only solution is either to write your password down or to have some sort of lock that you can't unlock, basically. 
yes, look, I wouldn't trust third parties necessarily. I don't want to be dismissive or negative here. I want to be very pragmatic. Another good practice in uh, for who is uh, serious about doing crypto is, uh, first of all, differentiate among different wallets. Don't centralize everything into one wallet because you lose that access to that one wallet, you lose everything. So first, good strategy. The second one is uh, don't necessarily trust this exchange for storing uh, your values. Now you say uh, use uh, intermediaries uh, for uh, storing your asset. Yes, for the sake of uh, performing your uh, transactions. But then if you store value in there, there unfortunately there have been stories, uh, not many, but there have been a few, where uh, people have disappeared because uh, with uh, the keys or the wallets of everybody else. And there was a case, now I can't remember the name, uh, and I don't want to mention anyway, a CEO of a company suddenly died and with uh, over $100 million worth of Bitcoin. And no one knows. There is a big speculation in the community whether he actually died or fake his death and disappeared in some Caribbean island. <laughs> we don't know. But the point is that uh, uh, people, investors, trusted this company. They put all their money in there. And, and because the CEO was the only person with the keys apparently, which is, again, is also absolutely something that <laughs> I will never, ever trust. He disappeared. He, well, he, he died, right? So until there is a different evidence, I can't be the person judging that. He died and he took with him the secrets of uh, over $100 million worth of investment of, of people that trusted that company. That's what happened. Yeah. Anything else is speculation. So, <laughs> but... That's a lot happening in the community there. I guess I'm trying so, yeah. to say that, like, yeah, I, I get the, the risk in trusting a third party, but I'm guessing most of the, there's actually also substantial risk in just for the average person just forgetting their password, yes. you know? Like, um, yeah. And there's really no good solution like you mentioned, you know? Yeah, and at the end, uh, the good solution is uh, stick to the traditional finance, trust your bank, and everything will keep on working as it is. But this is why DeFi, you know, the decentralized mm. finance, it's something that is emerging. There is an interest in it. Before getting you know, the broader adoption, it will be, yeah, it, it will take some time. It's more of a mindset transformation rather than uh, technology, for sure. I think the biggest use for cryptocurrency right now is just trading it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not really yeah. buying it or selling things with it, but just trading it. Trading, and, for sure. You know, I've, we, I've looked we, at that. Yeah. But the, right now, a lot of the places, if you want to trade it, they charge you like 1% fee to buy it and then another 1% fee to sell it. And it's like, yeah. so that's 2% right off the top. So if it, doesn't, if it goes down, you've lost 2% plus whatever it went down. Yeah. And if it doesn't go up 2%, then you're not even breaking even. Exactly, yes. Which is, in some way, is a little bit disappointing from... Uh, I'm a purist of, of blockchain. I like the, the, the use of it. And I'm very much aligned to the Bitcoin white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto in uh, 2008 when he wrote uh, in this white paper that the, the purpose of Bitcoin is to create a cryptocurrency that doesn't depend on central banks and central governments to perform uh, everyday transactions. So really a currency. And uh, if you if you look into the, the word currency, currency is to do in transactions that are current, no? So as in uh, buying stuff in the shop. And this is not happening, right? So what people are doing with cryptocurrency is uh, speculative investment. So asset uh, like uh, stocks uh, and and uh, and um, and similar uh, concept that are for long term rewards. Then obviously DeFi has introduced a lot of different techniques for short term reward, but is all based on uh, speculation around uh, the value of uh, crypto going up and down, which wasn't the initial intention. The initial intention of cryptocurrency or Bitcoin was to replace the 
traditional currency for everyday transaction. That hasn't happened. And this is why one of the challenges you know, in uh, entering Bitcoin uh, or any crypto into our real life. At the end, uh, we still need to buy stuff at the gro- grocery. We still need to pay for rental or for uh, our home loans, whatever. So we still need to buy stuff uh, and we can't buy with Bitcoin at the moment. Unless you live in uh, Salvador, which is uh, the first country in the world that has adopted Bitcoin as a legal tender for everyday shopping. Now, the well, when it takes when it takes ten yeah. minutes for a transaction, how yeah. do you use it for shopping? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the funny thing is, though, uh, is that I don't know how they can uh, price something in Bitcoin. If you think that Bitcoin is worth uh, about fifty thousand dollars, and you want to buy some eggs, uh, how much are you paying? Zero point zero 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 one. Well, good luck making the math when dealing with. Uh, decimal points right so it's unnatural no so you want to buy something that costs one coin two coins hundred coins but when you start dealing with the decimal and not 0.1 0.2 but 0.001 0002 i mean (laughs) come on how can you even write the price of it right (laughs) it becomes a bit funny (laughs) so we'll see we'll see actually i heard someone talking about that too you could buy eggs today for that small piece of Bitcoin that equates to a buck in a week from now, Bitcoin's gone up. And now what you paid is worth $3. You basically paid $3 for, for your eggs, right? Yeah. And it can be the same thing with, with regular currency, but it doesn't fluctuate uh, nearly as much as Bitcoin does at way, this point. Yeah. 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 So, but, I remember, so I remember hearing about a guy buying a Tesla way back uh, when Bitcoin was like $1,000 dollars a Bitcoin. So he, he paid a hundred Bitcoin and bought a Tesla. But now really he paid sixty what sixty six hundred thousand? I can't do the math, yeah, but it's a, something or yeah. six million dollars for his Tesla if he would have just held it instead of buying it. I think that's probably yeah. one of the reasons why it can't be a currency. If it keeps going up, no one wants to spend it. Mm. Right? Yeah, exactly. That one and the the time for committing the transaction. The workaround is a, a network called Lightning Network that sits on top of Bitcoin, which sort of create a cache of all these transactions before being committed. So you sort of have the the feeling that a transaction has been done, been confirmed, and this works in near real time with the hope that the transaction goes uh, com- fully committed at the end of the, the 10 minutes. It's not even 10 minutes, though, because 10 minutes is for a block of transaction to be committed. But the funny way blockchain works, uh, and probably this becomes a little bit too techy, but it's basically because everybody has a copy of the digital ledger, no? as, uh, as, we, as I mentioned before. What happens if someone is not on active on the on on the network in that moment? Once a block is uh, so fully validated, then it, it, there is a, a mechanism called broadcasting that distributes all the validated blocks to all the different peers in the network, so they can append to the ledger to the copy of the ledger that they have in their own. Uh, workstation their own device but if someone is not online in that moment you know you can't assume that people are online 24 by 7 with their device with their workstation they will not receive the block until they connect and sync up again the next time so where do these blocks go well some blocks go to people that are online in that moment some people to remain a little bit behind so when people then resync again they may be one or two three blocks behind. So which blockchain, which chain of blocks is the correct one? So the strategy in Bitcoin is uh, to get the longest branch because you assume that is the correct one. And uh, before uh, confirming a transaction, you have to wait for at least uh, six blocks to be appended to make sure that that block is uh, fully belonging to the correct branch. So is the 10 minutes for one block times six for the full six blocks to be part of the correct branch that is uh, the, the, the valid one. So we are even talking about an hour as an average. Now, the Lightning Network uh, provides sort of a, a caching because uh, uh, it, it just process all the transaction 
at once and uh, sort of make an assumption that transactions are eventually validated. But if they don't for any reason, then uh, you have to roll back. So you go, you buy your eggs, and then an hour later, you receive a message, sorry, payment failed. <laughs> so I don't know what happens in the moment. Yeah, exactly. I said, oh, sorry, I've already done uh, my omelette. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> so that's, that's the thing. If you're doing investment, that's okay. You just return the value automatically. So the wallet will just reprocess, roll back. But if you're doing shopping, it doesn't apply. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. So, yeah, look, if I can make a, a very small self-promotion, my my first book on blockchain applied uh, hit the market just last month. I wrote uh, exactly on these uh, use cases of blockchain um, for the enterprise space uh, using Azure as a reference uh, platform, although it's not a technical book for developers. It's more for the enthusiasts uh, uh, that are getting uh, their head around blockchain in the corporate space with a technical platform as a reference. It's called Blockchain Applied. And, and my second interest is on DeFi, decentralized finance. And I am working on now on this second book, which will be a bit more for the developer community using Python as a programming language for building a DeFi application on a blockchain. So work in progress, but it shows that there is an interest in people having a desire to learn more into this space. And I just hope that this becomes a bit more uh, mainstream, you know, that you can go into the stack overflow of the situation, just ask a question, and, and you find thousands of answers. It, it may take years before we get there, but the direction in some ways uh, is, is shaping. And, and when we have programming languages like C Sharp, TypeScript, uh, uh, joining the, the, this, uh, this party, <laughs> then uh, we'll be able also to reach uh, broader communities. Uh, you can do blockchain with TypeScript at the moment. You can do blockchain with .NET, uh, with uh, C Sharp at the moment, but it's a bit niche. It's uh, not something that everybody does it. If you have an interest, uh, now speaking to the to the listeners here, to, to the audience, if you do have an interest in exploring blockchain in the .NET space, C Sharp mainly as a programming language, then please reach out. I will be able to point you to additional resources. Definitely look out for Corda and Consensus, the resources on the Azure platform for sure. And, and Neo. Neo is another open source platform that is that where you can write uh, smart contracts in C Sharp, which is which is lovely <laughs> because you can use your preferred programming language without going into you know, some proprietary languages like Solidity for uh, Ethereum. But the adoption uh, is probably not as broad as Ethereum itself, but growing, certainly growing interest. Yeah, I definitely think this this field is going to get much, much more popular in the future as I think the, the use cases are kind of nut, nutted out and validated. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So it's, it's a good space to, to touch on. Oh, and thanks for the opportunity to have uh, you know, this conversation. I know that we didn't talk a lot about .NET, but we sort of created a foundation in some way you know, for uh, interest in this space. And as I said, there is uh, there are initiatives of .NET and blockchain together. Probably not mainstream just yet, but is a space that is uh, worth watching and definitely competitive for also from a job perspective in the future. No, so a blockchain Absolutely. developer, a mm. blockchain architect can definitely be a profile that have uh, significant interest uh, or uptight in the industry, in the, in the market. Okay, so I think we're just about out of time. So I'm going to move us into picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Do you want to go first? Why? What's your pick? Sure. So this week's pick for me, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but his name's like Ichika Nito. He's, he, he has like a YouTube channel on YouTube. And he's like a, he's like a 
guitarist from Japan, and like his work is just like amazing. He posts these like they're only like one minute songs, but just the way he plays guitar, it's just it's just incredible. Like he he it's, he's 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 obviously really accomplished, but he's he he doesn't just play fast. He plays them in a really like inventive way. Yeah, I've just been like just going through his channel and just watching these one minute clips of him playing guitar. Um, and he's got all these like weird guitars which got like fourteen strings and things like that. So yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. Cool. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? Yeah, my pick today is a new MMO, which is Amazon's New World. I have been disappointed with MMOs for years. <laughs> right? It's it's. I guess it's hard to get past Ashran's Call and World of Warcraft for me. But also don't have nearly as much time to play as I used to with a six-year-old. And this just came out, what, a week and a half ago? It's recent. And I've got a couple of hours in. And it's, it's a game where you can do some crafting and you can do some PVE and stuff and not have to invest a whole lot of time. You can still get some fun out of it. So uh, Amazon's New World. And this is what, on, um, on Switch? Uh, no, this is PC. Oh. Yep. I threw your curveball there. <laughs> All right. So uh, my pick's going to be .NET Conf. It's coming up on uh, November 9th to the 11th. So it's an online free virtual conference for for .NET. So this should be out before that happens. So if you're listening to this, get signed up. If you haven't signed up already, learn lots about uh, .NET 6. And it's actually launching for through .NET Conf this year. So check it out. All right, Stefano, do you have a pick for us? I do. Minecraft for good. So Minecraft is a popular game, obviously, but there is an education version for students. So some uh, some schools may have access to it if they require it. It's uh, completely free to access and is uh, built on uh, Roblox, which is uh, a visual way of coding uh, Minecraft and other applications. Uh, very, very popular in schools, uh, at least in the region where I live. Uh, students are building uh, worlds uh, and uh, and uh, doing some uh, experiment, uh, some tests uh, on uh, the Minecraft platform, coding in a visual way, and then creating their own avatar and uh, you know, traveling these worlds in a virtual way, which is fantastic because you, you see 10 years old uh, doing this uh, uh, virtual world, uh, but from a builder perspective, uh, not just as a, a gamer. So it, it develops uh, no, the mindset uh, of becoming the future developer. It's a very important skill to foster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Stefano, if our uh, listeners have questions and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, you find me on LinkedIn for sure. That's uh, probably my preferred platform for uh, interacting with the community, Stefano Tempesta. And I'm the one in Melbourne with, yeah, I would say probably that's the, the best way. Okay. If our listeners want to get in touch with the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. And Caleb Wells has Twitter <laughs> at... Oh, I, I have Twitter. That's right. Uh, yeah, Caleb Wells Codes. All right, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Stefano. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Glad. It was that great was... to have you on the show. That was awesome. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of the day. All right. And we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.